0: Well hi everyone and welcome back to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm your host Lori LeBay and we are going to have a really interesting conversation today about grief and being a dementia caregiver. Um, but before I introduce our guests, I would like to do a couple of shout outs. So one, I want to give a shout out to the Mark Arneson band for allowing us to use their music, uh, Clarion Call, which of course you can download on any of your favorite music platforms. And for those of you that are new to our show, we are about sound information, not just sound bites. So we have an hour long conversation with our guests. And when we're live like we are today, we invite you to go ahead and call in and ask any questions that you or make a comment that you might have. And that number is 323-870-4602. And I will pull you in when I see you pop up. I know many of you listen after the fact, you know, because they are podcasts. But we want to just give you that opportunity because grief is a a really important topic that we're going to be talking about today. And also, I want to invite you to think about could you be our next guest? Uh, We have an audience that's worldwide and we love to invite people at all different levels. So people that are diagnosed with a dementia, uh, families that care and friends, advocates, researchers, uh, a whole variety of businesses. And then, of course, we have our authors and our, our singers and our songwriters and our music directors. So, you know, if you have something you'd like to, you know, have heard and, you know, maybe get input from others on, reach out to me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com. Now, I always like to point people to our uh, updated website, which is Alzheimer'sSpeaks.com. There you can access all of our free educational resources. So you just click on that page and there's over a dozen different types of programs with multiple um multiple events and uh, programs that you can review for free uh let's see and then on december 8th i just want to invite people who might be here in minnesota if you are in the woodbury area on december 8th i will be doing an in-person program with artists senior living and that's all about family gatherings events and travel and difficult times how the heck do you Keep the joy in the journey for all of you. We are going to hear from the footbar
1: walker next, and then we'll be back with our guest. I love the footbar walker, and let me tell you why. It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest. There are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. Well, we are
0: back and it's time to have our conversation about understanding the grief of a dementia caregiver. And I am so honored to be talking with JT, who is the author of a book called 13 Months. Diary of a Caregiver's Grief. Um, Jay has spent over 20 years in the field of mental health and addiction services as a licensed therapist, a supervisor, and instructor. And in her memoir, she really opens up and shares her struggles, the turmoil, the path to healing, and, you know, how the heck can you support others on this journey? Because Lord knows, um, Jay's not the only one who has gone through this. So how do you walk out the other end whole? So welcome, Jay. I'm thrilled to have you on the show today.
2: Oh, well, thank you so much for having me, guest. I'm so honored to be here. And I do want to just take a moment to thank you so much for all you do. Um, your trailblazing support and in interventions in de- dementia care just serves so many around the world.
0: Oh, thank you. That's that's kind of you to say. Um now, Jay, you know, I've got a list of questions here for you, but I always start out with my first one. Um, asking my guest if they wouldn't mind sharing how, you know, just briefly, how dementia touched you um and your family and circle of friends, um, as a whole here through through the journey you went on.
2: Sure, I'm happy to share that. So I, I was a caregiver for my grandmother who had vascular dementia, um, and the process, like so many others have have shared, was um, just filled with so so much emotion and range of experiences because. She was such a dynamic and vivacious person and was such a such an important bright spot in my life. Um, Many people were often really surprised um, because she was very petite in stature, but she just had this force of a personality and really strong, welcoming, and loving nature. Um, In in my journey after my grandfather died, um, she really started doing a lot of things in her early 70s, such as traveling around the world. Um, So she always had a, a real gusto for life. And like how you've shared about your mother, Lori, she was uh, just very fiercely independent. But as she aged, um, an issue started to develop, which is the case for so many families. And in particular, she was first diagnosed with macular degeneration. Um, And what our family didn't realize at the time is this would then become the filter or the lens for other medical issues. Um, And the reason why I mention that is, and I think others can relate to this, when I look back now, I see early signs of dementia, but these were all kind of explained through her vision issues. So we just didn't we didn't know kind of really what was happening. And then during kind of those initial years, my caregiving was really more in a form of social support to kind of help with errands. I would come every other weekend. Um but then there was this one particular event that kind of shook um everything where um, I came in on a Friday, and she, I could tell she was very distressed, and she um, said, you know, there's this carnival outside, and they're blocking your car, and I I really was stunned. I didn't know what to say, um, and I just tried to soothe her and try to kind of normalize things, and when I was able to in private, I reached out to um, her sister, Millie, which in tandem, we, we did a lot of the caregiving for her, And then she was taken to the doctor and we were told that she had Charles Bonnet syndrome, which um, produces, um, for those with macular degeneration, can produce um, visual hallucinations. Um, But really, I guess it it was just like this constant kind of confusion of what's really going on. And then um, not too long after that, there was the event that really kind of changed everything and finally we received the diagnosis of dementia where she had a mini stroke or a TIA um, and she was hospitalized. um, And that really was the first time when dementia issues were mentioned. I worked really closely with Millie to try to create um, um, like a caregiving plan because as I said, she was, she was fiercely independent. And she had always, always shared with us, like, you're going to have to drag me out of this house. I'm going to keep living here. And so it was really a struggle to, try to make sure she was cared for, but yet still honor her independence. But things really kind of went downhill quickly because her sister Millie was, um, you know, kind of aging herself. And, um, so I, uh, kind of made the overture to say, well, you know what, what if I move, um, her to where I live, um, And she seemed really open to that. And uh, what we were able to do is find a dementia assisted living facility. And then she stayed with me and my husband Alejandro every weekend. So that it it hopefully gave her that stability. Um, And with my dementia care journey um, during this time, I really tried to keep her connected to all that she loved because she was really, you know, understandably heartbroken and disoriented, at all these changes. And one of the things that um, it always makes me think of how I love the slogan that um, the adaptive equipment and caregiving corner resource you have at the start of your show, where it says, if you can't do it, adapt it. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I did that with so many, and I think other caregivers do, to emotionally adapt something. So, like, she had always been a vivacious traveler and loved music. So, I was like, I'll just try to bring all that to her. Mm -hmm. Um, And that worked for a while. Like, in particular, she really, she had always loved Uh, traveling. So I buy those like really large coffee table books of different countries. And we talk about her travels. Um, And then as much as possible, I always tried to kind of create these like what I call quote unquote vacations um, so that she felt like she was getting away. Um, And during that time um, I was so immensely grateful to my friend Tara, who I mentioned in the memoir because um, the vacations quote unquote really amounted us to driving to Tara's house in the country which is really only 30 minutes away. But for my grandmother, it always seems much longer. So she had this idea we were venturing to some exotic location. Um, and so that that helped for a time. Um, but there was, again, continued decline and falls and ongoing distress. distress. Um, and then also the toll for me is as much as I wanted to handle everything well, um, it became very overwhelmed quickly with everything I needed to oversee and along with the pull of emotions that comes, I think, with everyone can understand with dementia caregiving. So I descended into kind of what I kind of felt or referred to as like a whole of dementia caregiver quicksand. Um, but I kept doing the best I can, and I was with her until until the end. Wonderful. Do you mind telling our audience, um, because I think that
0: people are interested in this, if you're comfortable sharing kind of your age and where you're at. You know, you mentioned you're you're married. Do you have children? All of those. Some of just that kind of background, because I think I think people forget all people of all ages are getting care (laughs) out there. Yeah.
2: Sometimes we just assume everybody is like us.
0: And so if you're comfortable
2: with that, I think that would be wonderful. Sure. No, I'm um, actually 53 now. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandmother, I started caregiving, gosh, in my um, mid-30s um, mm-hmm. or so, I think back. Um, and I had caregived for her for in, in different capacities for over 15 years. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so I'm married and I do not have children. That was one of the reasons why I felt I could, could step in. Mm-hmm. Um, While well, I did work full-time and, of course, had my own life responsibilities, I felt like, you know, I, I think I, I can do it. And I wanted to do it because, like I said, she had been such a huge importance in my life, and I wanted to give back so much of the love that she had given to me growing up. Oh,
0: wonderful. Well, thanks for sharing that because I think sometimes, especially when we're dealing with grief, um, you know, when in any time you're caring for somebody, it's it's kind of like being a juggler. And you know what your life expectations were to what they are now—all of that kind of comes into play, I think, with that. So, but first, let's talk about um, what additional um, issues are there um, that that people need to consider when you know they're going through this dementia caregiver grief. Uh, I just think it's such a big bubble that people aren't really comfortable talking about because we live in a society where I think we're afraid of how everyone's judging us and we're supposed to be in control of, of every little minute detail in our life. And if we're caring for somebody else, them too. So what are some of those other areas that you think and issues that can pop up that, that people might not think of?
2: Yes. Well, and I agree completely with you, what you shared. I think both with, you know, dementia caregiving and grief, there still carries a lot of stigma. Um, There's not a lot of discussion. And I think just grief for anyone in general with any type of situation brings up so many emotions and is incredibly challenging. Just again, that's with any loss. And I think for me, what was difficult and what I share in the the memoir is that I had experiences of losses. Um, Certainly, I didn't think that that was going to make this loss um, something that I could easily go through. But I, I felt like um I had some initial preparation, so I was really just extremely shocked and confused when my grief after being a caregiver felt so different, and it really was like a tsunami of emotions that came in very quickly and for dementia caregiver grief, what I came to understand um, is that there are these additional factors important to be mindful of um, and it's actually also one of the many reasons I'm so grateful to the dementia community. With their openness to share, because when, when I was struggling to understand, gosh, why is my grief so intense? Mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I couldn't find anything in kind of regular grief resources. So I turned to the dementia community for answers, and that that's where I was really able to learn from others and piece together that, you know, and I, you know, in hindsight, it's always twenty twenty. You think like, oh my gosh, why didn't I just see that to begin with? But Mm -hmm. it really took hearing the stories of other dementia caregivers to notice I wasn't just navigating one loss. These were multiple Mm -hmm. losses throughout the caregiving process. And kind of having this knowledge was a big step in what helped me heal. Um, Because I thought like, you know, I realized that our grief contains a series of, you know, expected and unexpected kind of continual losses. Um, Mm -hmm. Many people have talked about You know, there's a sense of loss with the diagnosis, and I definitely felt that. Um, There's the loss of family relationships because of the stress that comes from caregiving. If our um, loved one has personality changes, that's another loss. I know for me, witnessing how hard it was on my grandmother to see her capabilities change, you know, I took that on. And then on top of that, you know, I recognized there was the high-impact loss at the end where I had the combination of the death of my grandmother along with the loss of my identity as a caregiver. Um, and mm-hmm. I really that surprised me because I, I just, I didn't know what to do with myself and I didn't know who I was anymore. Yep. Yeah, oh, and I can
0: so relate to that because I, and I think so many people, you know, go up to someone who's in that kind of grief stage and who has lost someone and they'll say, well, what do you like to do? And and I remember my answer to that question clear as day. I don't know. I didn't focus on me for so many years. I don't have a clue what I what I like at this stage of my life. I mean, I, I had I had I had totally lost my identity of myself um in the journey and I had to kind of re-figure out who do I want to be when I when I grow up uh, all over again. Um and I think that that's so common. The other thing is I think so many people don't understand, like you had mentioned, the the amount of emotion and like where is all of this coming from? Because you think you're right. dealing with it and you're preparing yourself, but you can never, ever really prepare yourself, you know, for the very end. And so here in Minnesota, in our Dementia Friendly group, we um, we pulled together... A program called the dementia uh, the dementia caregiver reentry program because so many people oh. feel feel so lost and so Warren Wolf is is working on a workbook you know for that we kind of took it after a a, a memory cafe style because they said we don't want an eight week grief group because we're going to still mm-hmm. be grieving and then we're going to be alone mm-hmm. they wanted something that would go on and where people could discuss like. You know, how do I clean out the closets? How did you adjust to driving or now paying the bills? Um, how do you cook for one? How do you get to sleep at night? I can keep myself busy and my mind busy during the day, but I go to bed and, and then I'm just overwhelmed, you know. And so they're able to share with people who are going through that process and they really support each other, you know, so well. Um, So I I think it's a very uh, underserved and misunderstood group because, and this this is my belief, but I I, I don't think there's a a step, you know, A to Z that you follow with this. It's kind of like I mentioned, grief is different for everybody and everyone's Mm -hmm. circumstances are different. And, you know, they might be dealing with, uh, you know, family dynamics or uh, financial crisis or health issues of their own or addictions. All that stuff comes into play, you know, that has to be considered with that. Um, Let's talk next a little bit about, you know, complementary holistic approaches um, to healing. I really believe in, in, you know, researching and getting knowledge on all different things. And I didn't really get um, spiritually and, and holistically connected until I was really in my like late thirties or forties, and it was like, mm. oh my gosh, why was this not taught to me in school? <laughs> These things mm-hmm. are really, <laughs> really helpful, you know. And um, so, well, talk about that. What what your feelings are on that? Because I know you've got some some strong
2: feelings there. Yes, well, I mean, again, this is another area where I'm so grateful to you for all you do because you really honor holistic, um, complementary, and alternative approaches, and I love how you really, you know, include them and identify how they can be part of, um, you know, again, the, the, that beautiful phrase you have of shifting the conversation from crisis to comfort. Because for me, these approaches and techniques were the key, were the absolute key for my healing. I just, I, I just would not have been able to have as much healing without them. Um, because I think mm-hmm. one of the things that, you know, as, as you shared, there's there's so much stigma about grief and caregiving and not enough discussion. And, you know, we we now know a little bit more about, well, I should say a lot more about kind of how grief in particular impacts the body, mind and spirit. And for me, I felt like just grief came and hijacked my brain. I was just mm-hmm. like, I, I don't know who I am anymore. I don't, and um, I really needed something um, within my healing process that, you know, had that body, mind, spirit component. So I feel very similar to you that these approaches, if again everybody's different, just like you, like you said, if they speak to you, if they speak to someone, they can be really valuable in the grief healing process. And like again, holistic, which you know, embraces a body, mind, spirit philosophy. For me, it was wonderful because it ensured kind of like that for me as the whole person is being cared for, and with complementary and alternative approaches, which you know are considered non-traditional approaches, those can be integrated into healing. But things that I used um, that were so instrumental in the healing process, things like aromatherapy, acupuncture, movement therapy, um, you know, and I know um, you have um, you've had. Past speakers or past guests who talked on art and music therapy are so important. And then to things like energy practices, such as Reiki and sound healing, which is, that's the area I'm passionate about and specialized in. But these are really instrumental in kind of opening kind of a whole layer of healing of well-being for, for everyone. So I found that um, those have worked incredibly well because they just, they they really offer kind of like a different framework, I think. Oh,
0: definitely. Well, I I just don't think you know, if people haven't been through grief, they don't understand the trauma. Um yes. that someone goes through and, and there's the trauma of a loss of a loved one, but there's a whole nother level when it's a loved one that you have specifically cared for and, you know, yes. were in tune with kind of twenty four seven. Um, you know, or even if they're in a community and you're not living together, you're just, you just get connected at this different level. And mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the things for me, um, and you know, I was thankful that I was able to tap into some of these um, holistic and um, spiritual um, healing uh, helpers for me, was, you know, I could communicate with my mom on a whole different level. And so yes. as, as my mom progressed in her disease, um I was so in tune with every body movement, if it was a, you know, a twink in the eye, you know, or a, you know, a smile or a giggle or um just movements um that I would probably overlook being too busy being busy, I mm-hmm. I just I saw those things and I knew exactly what her needs were and even you know, when she was in her end stages, when she couldn't talk, we were so connected. She would come to me in dreams and mm-hmm. make things really clear. And even after she passed, um, she would come to me in dreams. And I know some people might think that that's crazy. And you can push that stuff away, or you can you can choose to embrace it and find great comfort in it. And I, I found a huge level of comfort and. It also allowed me um, to learn that there are many, many steps of unconditional love that I didn't know existed yes. because of the, the level of the connection. And, you know, I thought unconditional love kind of came when you had a child, you know, or you had a spouse and and, you know, you kind of took those two for granted. But I never really thought bigger of that or deeper mm-hmm. of that. And, boy, that really opened up my eyes in, in many, many ways. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, breaking some of these down from, you know, aromatherapy and, and movement? And, you know, some people might not even know what Reiki and sound healing is, um, meditation, those types of things. You know, how do you find a practice and what does it, you know, what does it entail?
2: Sure. Well, I, I happy to share kind of, again, uh, my process, I fear or my experience was very similar to you in terms of, I was like, I, I know I need something more than what traditional medicine is offering. Not that traditional medicine doesn't have, it has so many valid um, uses and importance, but I just felt like there just was something more. And that's why similar to you, I was really grateful to the healers and teachers that helped me on my path. And I think regardless of kind of what technique you're using, I think there's a a similar foundation with all of them that really honors our own inner wisdom and intuition. Mm -hmm. Um, And the, the framework is that these, you know, embrace a body, mind and spirit from the perspective that like, I know with traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture, they view, Um, that, you know, the the organs of our system have, you know, their normal function, but they also have a spiritual function. So, for example, grief is related to the lung, um, Mm -hmm. whereas um, anger is related to um, the liver and fear is related to the kidneys. And so all of that is treated, the body, mind, and spirit are all treated um, as one. And I think also, like with Reiki and sound healing, which, again, are considered energy practices, they also believe that in addition to our physical body, that we also have um, an energy system. Um, and that's similar also in traditional Chinese medicine. So they, the perspective is that stress and this, this ease actually start in the energy fields and work the way into our body and mind. So Reiki and sound healing are used to um, kind of release and transform the the energy areas because they need just as much healing as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that that, when you speak of kind of being connected to your mom, I, I felt the same way. And so I was, you know, after her passing, I felt like I was carrying not just like my own energy and the heavy energy from caregiving, but also again, her emotions, I, I definitely mm-hmm. still felt very much connected to her, and so these were the these were the approaches that really kind of helped kind of clear things out um, and offer kind of some transformation and healing. I think uh, another piece that is that relates to kind of all the approaches is there's a belief that everything has value, and in particular, all emotions are important to express in my memoir. And at that time, you know, there was a lot of emphasis placed on always being positive Mm -hmm. in such a, into such an extreme that like, you know, don't be angry, don't have these feelings, be happy. And I was like, I, 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 I hear that and I wish I could do that, but I just have this huge, you know, tsunami of emotions coming out. I'm not sure what to do with them. And so for me, it was really a relief to hear like nothing within, you know, holistic um, perspective. There's no good, bad, positive, negative emotions. Everything has a purpose. Everything is valuable in the healing process. Um, And so through, in in particular, you know, I learned about kind of honoring um, emotions from a clinician, Rob Priest, who does a lot of work with uh, Buddhist traditions as well as um, Jungian analysis. And he was really instrumental in letting me just kind of open up, recognize what's there, let things be. And then I was able to kind of connect with those emotions instead of trying to push them away and be like, you know, what does this part of me or what does this emotion need to heal? And that just, I mean, that that again allowed healing to take place rather than kind of resistance or repression of what I was feeling.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's, um, I, I just find it all so fascinating uh, I'll tell you a story. This was kind of funny because I was naive. I didn't really know a whole heck of a lot of, of anything alternative. You know, I grew up in a in a household. You know, my mom, you know, they bring us to the doctor if we were sick and we would talk as a family if we had an issue. And I was at a conference and I um, I really wanted to, I felt like my intuition was kind of perking. And I remember mm-hmm. my a few instances in my life where my mom's intuition was right on. And, it, you know, it was she didn't want to drive one day, and she had to go pick up my dad for whatever reason. And she got rear-ended and got whiplash and, you know, suffered for, for years with that. And, you know, the times where she, uh, another time my brother uh, was supposed to go on a ski trip and she said you're not going and and he was so mad because all his friends were going they all died of carbon monoxide poisoning oh. and so oh my goodness. it was you know a couple of, of big major things I remember growing up but we didn't really talk about it at all and then I I found myself getting very kind of in tune and like how did I know this before it happened and and things and so I was at this conference and I I was just waiting for I think to get my hotel room or something I was uh, there was a line and I started talking with this woman in California and we just both opened up right away and she was a sound healer I had never ever heard of that and here in the lobby she's like um I can feel I can feel you're you're carrying a lot of stuff she's like do you mind if I do some sound work on you and I'm like well what does that entail And she says, I'm just going to blow sound into, into your, into your back. And so here Mm -hmm. we are in the lobby. And like I said, I thought, well, what the heck, you know, it was Mm -hmm. amazing how I felt. I, I, you know, the vibration of her voice into my, into my back and, and uh, you know, I was fully clothed. It wasn't like I had an open back dress or anything like that, but It was incredible. And it was just like, wow, that is really, really something. And there was another conference that had a bunch of healers there. And I was able, and that's why she was there and why I met her. And I still talk to her to this day. And this was, oh my gosh, 20 years ago. Um, But it really opened up the door for me to explore more and not be so afraid. Um, Because I know a Mm -hmm. lot of people think when they hear healing or holistic, Um, They think anti-God and it's going to go against Mm -hmm. their religion. And um, I I did personally training with um, Echo Bodine here in Minnesota. And I mean, she's a big, big believer in God. And she's like, all of this is part of God. It's really his wisdom coming through. But for us not to be afraid of it. And Mm -hmm. like you said, the aromatherapy, there's great research out on that and The movement and the music and the arts they're really starting more and more research on that on on how it Mm -hmm. can change our energy and stuff um meditation um Mm -hmm. now are you a reiki practitioner or did you go uh, did you go to reiki sessions
2: both um i had such a good experience similar to what you shared with the sound healing um with Mm -hmm. reiki that and and what i love about it again it works exactly where each person is at and it's very Mm -hmm. kind of tailored to what what you're needing it's not like a manualized approach like everybody's going to get this it really again attunes to each person's energy and what they need and i just had such like i said i i it was just this huge release of not just kind of my own heavy energy that I was carrying, but, you know, residual things from, from family um, that mm-hmm. it just, it, you know, I, I just became really passionate about, um, you know, kind of moving into holistic care as opposed to traditional therapy. And uh, just as kind of an aside, cause I had a really similar you were sharing your stories and again the the kind of again the the myth of that it might be anti-god or anti-spiritual and i really agree with you it's no it embraces people where they are at with their own traditions and can really be adapted based on your own belief system i Mm -hmm. had been working and or studying with a traditional healer in mexico and one of the questions that i asked him was you know, I know you come from this tradition and this philosophy. What do you do when you work with uh, someone from a different faith? And mm-hmm. his response was really, for me, it, it, it made so much sense. Um, he just said, well, I tell my God to speak to their God about what I'm mm-hmm. seeing. So that mm-hmm. there wasn't, you know, again, everything, again, can work together.
0: Exactly. There's a book that... um Us Against Alzheimer's put out, I'll have to look up the name of it while uh, while we're talking, Um, but they have different uh, like religious groups and things like that um, that support dementia and they they talk about all different types of of spirituality and things. And Mm -hmm. what was really interesting with this one book is I think it had like 17 or 18 different religions in it. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I I remember was a priest or a pastor saying is it was really helpful to see how other religions practice and how much Mm -hmm. overlap there actually is um, between Mm -hmm. us. And he adapted other other religions practices um, into help his service of not only himself, but, you know, of his congregation. And, and he said, and they loved it. He said, it's just kind of a different type of prayer, a different way to, to to do the same thing with it. Maybe mm-hmm. a little bit different label, a little bit different twist, but, um, and I thought, well, that was a cool way to put that. Um, yeah. I thought that that was really, uh, really, really helpful um, in terms of how to frame things, you know, if a, a pastor priest or uh, ra um i want i can't i want to say rabbi and that's not it rabbi sorry there a rabbi can can differentiate the differences but yet appreciate the similarities in the end goal um right. the rest of us should understand that as well uh with mm-hmm. that so that's really really um really really neat um gosh as far as you know, trauma goes, did you have anything in your head um, of how you were going to feel before your loss? Did you have, I think sometimes we have preconceived ideas of what it's going to look like, what grief is going to look like, and how we're going to handle it. Yes,
2: and I'm kind of actually chuckling inside when you um, say that, because it's, again, it's not that I thought, oh, I have this down, you know, everything's going to be like a cakewalk, but I, I had my list, I had my, you know, support process. I had, you know, the therapist from hospice, which, again, is what is the basis of of the memoir. So I thought, you know, I'm going to go in. I'm going to do the very best I can. And Mm -hmm. that plan just shattered pretty much um, immediately. And I, again, I, my grief process for me was so challenging. um, And I felt a lot of shame about it for so long because I was just like, why can't I just get it together? I mean, I have all these resources. I've, you know, why is it so immense? I had such a long time with her. Is it because I'm not grateful enough? I just, all of these um, thoughts whirled around and that's where um, I completely agree with you. And a big piece uh, also of the healing that took place was that I needed at some point to start considering trauma within the context of dementia caregiver grief. I, I didn't, um, include that from the beginning because again, I just I, I just hadn't been aware of it. But now, when I look back and I write about it in the memoir, I really see that there's, you know, in particular, two key we, key ways where trauma relates to dementia caregiver grief. And for me, a big opening that happened where I started to understand why the grief process was so difficult and not matching up with what I had planned for is that I was experiencing um, what's now often called post-caregiver PTSD. And like I said, I, I, I saw everything through the lens of, you know, grief. Um, so I had not even been really considering trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, but I stumbled upon an article that was called, For Some Caregivers, the Trauma Lingers. Mm-hmm. And it just was like this big aha moment, because then I was like, oh, this makes so much sense why this is, is such a challenge and this feels so much more than just just grief. Mm-hmm. And then I was really able to recognize, you know, and again, I felt, uh, I'll be really honest because, you know, I'm a trained therapist. I was like, well, this just confirms like I'm, I'm an idiot or something, because why couldn't I like see this? But when you're in the throes of grief, and again, your brain gets hijacked, you're not functioning like your normal self. So I I needed Mm -hmm. outside resources to help. But then I was able again to really, once I had this aha moment, I was able to look at, you know, kind of the the main cluster of PTSD symptoms and be like, okay, I I get it. Like in particular for me, and I share this a lot in the memoir, I had so many intrusive thoughts. And in particular, I I just had ongoing nightmares where my grandmother Mm -hmm was distressed. I couldn't reach her. Um, Just pretty much sleeping was, was not a pleasant experience. And my mind also obsessed over past decisions, Um, certain like I didn't do enough. And why didn't I see this sooner? I know that that's a familiar theme with dementia caregivers. Um, And then there was, there was a lot of, um, which surprised me. I had a negative change in my thinking and mood in particular and this is why I think I didn't see it as trauma right away, it really seemed particular to my role as a caregiver. I just had these persistent, really negative beliefs about myself, a lot of guilt and shame, and all I kind of remember were my mistakes as her caregiver. You know, I felt like I didn't do enough. Um, I felt like everything I did was wrong. And then I think the, the one area that probably surprised me the most is that I had would consider kind of in the cluster of symptoms, a significant change in my physical and emotional reactions. I really had like a heart heightened startle response. I was easily startled. Um, I would really be on guard for like something bad's going to happen. Like just this feeling of walking on eggshells. And then I, um, I, my, my, my mood, um, my emotions, I became really irritable and angry over like nothing. And I would, it was really shocking to me because I would get really angry, like, for example, at my friend Tara for nothing and or be in a grocery store and just be really frustrated. And that just made me feel like I was like, I am a stranger to myself. Who Who is this person? I just,
0: mm-hmm. you know, and
2: so that just, again, compounded feeling bad. But when I started looking through the context of trauma symptoms, you know, irritability and anger are very, very common. And it was with that knowledge that I could you know, we can start finding ways to heal that. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: and it is you know true that post-traumatic stress. I mean, because you're so involved, and people don't don't understand how deep the connections are, and how how routine your patterns have gotten, and your your thought mm-hmm. process of what you prioritize in life. You know, all mm-hmm. changes just in a snap of a finger. And you right. know when you were talking about those kind of that looping of I didn't do enough or I should have done this different, or whatever um that second guessing, I think, uh, oh my gosh, I hear people say that all the time, and then when you mentioned you know the the physical and the emotional um response changes as well, uh people are struggling with their moods, they don't feel like they have as much control. Um, maybe they were one that wasn't depressed. And and I and I think some of it is, um, you know, you're so busy being busy, you, you don't take the time to feel during the day right? a lot true. of times. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like the clock stops and you don't have all these things to do. And now you have this dead space that's wide open in your head and your head just goes, your inner critic <gasps> just kind of takes over Yep. And you know, and that's one thing I've I've learned through this process too is is to say to my inner critic, okay, you had your say, you said it once, I heard you. Get the heck out of my head. now. <laughs> that's enough. That's <laughs> enough. I'll give you your space, um, but you're you're not taking over the whole real estate here. You know, <laughs> and, <Right. laughs> and kind of taking back control. Uh, but those things are just. They're so profound and yet they're so Mm -hmm. subtle. I remember when I started um, caring for you, my mom had dementia for 30 years. My dad had brain cancer for four and a half. And all of a sudden I had some health issues, nothing major. Luckily I had, all of a sudden I developed asthma. It's like, where the heck did that come from? Um, All of a sudden I had a little more anxiety because I was just wired so tight. Mm -hmm. And and then I got acid reflux from the stress of being wired so tight. And and those things all kind of melted away after my journey, you know, um, not not necessarily right away Um, with my mom. uh, It was really after my dad, things had had kind of melted away. And with my mom, I think my body, heart and mind was more in sync with um, a better Mm -hmm. balance. And mm-hmm. um, but that was just weird, and I actually had to like fight with the doctors. I'm like, get that stuff off my chart, and, you know? And they ask you every year, and I'm like, no, I have not taken that for years. Would you remove that? I just come mm-hmm. on, <laughs> you know? Right? <laughs> and um, and things, but you know, it, it's subtle stuff. Your your blood pressure, just your eating habits, your energy levels. Everything is mm-hmm. so intertwined and and i don't know about you but this happened to me and i've heard it happen to a lot of people is when you are doing a good job caring for someone else a lot of other people start coming to you on at different levels to assist Mm -hmm. them and you kind of become Mm -hmm. the the fixer and i think that that's something that many of us take on that we don't even know we're taking on but it just becomes part of who we are and then all of a sudden you're really getting overloaded because it's like you're putting right. more energy into other people's lives than they're putting into yours. Because that's a different kind mm-hmm. of, and it really isn't a caregiver, it's a, it's being codependent, it, which I didn't even realize at that point, you know, and, until I had mm-hmm. one, of, one of those um, dreams, you know, that came to mm-hmm. me and said, no, no this isn't caregiving, this is codependency and you need to stop it or it's going to kill you. You know, taking care mm-hmm. of my mom and dad was definitely being a caregiver or a care partner, whatever, you know, verbiage you want to do. But again, that's something that should be taught in school, why we do what we do. You know, are we doing it because yeah. we want to do it or are we doing it because we're afraid we're going to get judged or, you know, there's going to be other other things Um you know, that are going to kind of come back at us uh, if we don't. And there's a big difference of wanting to do something and doing it because you feel like you have to um, right. or in that you don't have any control. And I, I don't think most of us think of those things at all. We just, mm-hmm. you know, no can be a tough word to use. But boy, once you once you learn it, you'll love it. <laughs> you <know? laughs>
2: very true. Very true.
0: Oh, gosh. This is just such a, a a great, I think, to me, uplifting conversation, too, in terms of giving people um, some options and things. What do you think about, uh, like, um, support groups and some of the different layers that um, a dementia caregiver can use, uh, along with holistic, along with, uh, you know, Western medicine and, and things, too? Do you have, like, a you know, a, a tier of of things, or do you have a a toolbox? Do you look at it as all a toolbox, and everyone's an individual and needs to kind of assess those things um, individually?
2: Well, I, I definitely agree that um, we all have individual needs, and so everybody definitely needs to build their own individual toolbox. Um, and I'm a big supporter, and as you know, whatever works for anyone, how many tools somebody needs, definitely you know, uh, build what works for you. Mm-hmm. I know for me, um, part of my healing was that you know, I like I said at the beginning, I, you know, I was like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the best I can. I'm gonna make these lists of supports, and I'm gonna do the, you know, basically again, kind of try my best to kind of build that support with grief. Which again, and, and the tools themselves are really helpful. But what I realized. Um, That I needed kind of more of that I didn't recognize for quite some time is that when I was just kind of making this one layer toolbox, I was really viewing grief support. All of the things that I was putting in my toolbox were things that I was reaching outside myself for. I was looking externally for validation and answers. So I would go to my grief therapist. I read this book. I do this support group, which, again, are all really important. what I came to realize that for me, in addition to just a a toolbox, is that I I needed kind of layers of support. I needed Mm -hmm. to remember that there were going to be times when I shouldn't, or I guess I shouldn't say shouldn't, um, it wasn't the best match to reach outside externally. I needed to turn inward.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, And that
2: actually led me for myself um, and I'm a this just in case it might be helpful for someone else, but I really came to kind of almost view it like it was a quilt approach to dementia caregiver grief support. And what I mean by kind of a quilt approach, and this really comes, um, it, it really stems from my grandmother speaking to me because she was an avid quilter. She was mm-hmm. very gifted at sewing and crafting in general. And that was one of the things she, she handed down to me that I still continue to sew, um, but I do have to say she was very meticulous. Um, and while I definitely um, took on her love of crafting and sewing, I did not inherit the meticulous trait. I always like refer to myself as a rogue sewer. I'm not like super neat and polished. Um, but what I learned from her through her quilts that were so strong um, and really provided comfort is she taught me how quilts are made with, you know, this combination of three layers. And so each layer is important on its own, but when you combine the three, um, it results in kind of this strength. And so for me, what I kind of came to view that was helpful for me personally was kind of creating this layers of support for grief. And I, for myself, I tamed, I termed them as the inner support layer, external support, and a universal or divine layer. Um, and I can share a little bit more kind of what I mean with that. So the inner support is what I was kind of missing from the beginning, um, I I really needed to remind myself that I was my own inner compass, that I had my own inner healing capacity, um, that I didn't always need to be reaching out to someone or getting validation from somewhere else, that there were going to be times when I just needed to sit with myself, not really grasp at anything, not analyze anything, but just like kind of tell myself I was okay. Um, And then there is still, of course, the external, which, you know, going to therapy, going to acupuncture, all of those are really, really healing. But I found that when I started with that inner layer first, then those external supports were more effective because I was layering on on top of my own inner wisdom. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, I came to kind of recognize that there are going to be times when I really needed to concentrate on kind of what we uh, touched on before, that universal divine or spiritual layer. And I think this is a layer of support that allows us in in any kind of belief system, it's it's, it's adaptable, is to open up and take in support and healing from something that's larger than ourselves. So for some people, this might be a spiritual um, faith. It might be for others, the connection to their community or a need to be surrounded in nature. Um, kind of anything that opens us up and connects us to, you know, kind of a larger, you know, purpose. Mm -hmm. And so for me, not just thinking only of a toolbox, but these layers and kind of checking in with myself and being like, you know, what layer do I need? It's not just the tool, but like, do I need more of the inner support? Do I need external? Do I need universal? Really kind of helped to make sure that I was um, meeting kind of the need that I needed in that moment.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, and I I like that you
0: I I've always kind of looked at it like I said um, you know, as a as a toolbox, but I like the layering of that. Um I think that that makes a lot of sense because I know for myself when when you line those three layers together, wow, are they powerful because mm-hmm. and I think one of the things that sometimes is missing is our inner belief that you know, we can kind of re-steer the ship and get back on right. track and get balanced. And there's a, there's a level of denial, um, sometimes very unconscious, but when you are in tune to that, you, you can, you know, you can adjust, but when you're not mm-hmm. even, when you don't even know that unconsciously that is happening, um, then it's, it's harder to right the ship, you know, mm-hmm. and our, our thoughts you know our thoughts are important um you know big time in terms of of you know what happens i I'll give a, an example um of this, and my listeners have heard this before but i I think some of these things you can never hear too much of. But I used to get really frustrated and I would get in a screaming match with God and I would go down in my basement when no one was home. I made sure all the windows were shut and I would just yell, <laughs> like, drop me a bone. Uh, this is too stressful. I'm in mm-hmm. overload. I And, and always within anywhere from 20 minutes to two days, max, the answer would become really clear to me. And what yeah. I, and, and again, I, you know, I granted everybody, I shouldn't be yelling at God, but I, I had to get that emotion out of my body. And I think he mm-hmm. understood that <laughs> and he's mm-hmm. still willing, still willing to help me. Um, but you know, I would get these, these insights um, and, you know, or in intuitive pings or messages from God, whatever you want to call them, I, it doesn't make any difference, but I would realize that as hard as I was focusing to fix a problem, I really wasn't focused on fixing the problem. I was overwhelmed by all the minutia surrounding the problem. Yeah. And when I asked him, you know, I, I, you know, to drop me a bone and 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 tell me what's the lesson. I, I believe you're not putting me through this if there's mm-hmm. not a lesson attached. And then I was asking the right question: What's the mm-hmm. lesson? And then it became clear, and then I could. Go in and rebalance things out, you know, whatever it was. And it was Mm -hmm. just a simple little thing. But, you know, that along with support groups and, and the belief that I could have these conversations, that I could get an answer. Um, you know, all of those layers, I think, were really, really important for me in any ways to be healed. Um, I cannot believe our time has flown by. We only have like four minutes left of our conversation <laughs> here. I told you it would go fast, uh, but it, it even went really, really fast for me, which doesn't happen all the time. Is there, is there one last thing you would like to let our audience know, and then we'll make sure that we give them your contact information and
2: and we'll close up. Well, I, I mean, again, I, I just so have appreciated that you made space for the conversation on grief and, in particular, dementia caregiver grief because, um, you know, like you mentioned so eloquently, it can be a really hard topic to talk about. And I know, you know, I've discussed, I kind of really shared, you know, the inner workings. It's, my memoir is a very open and candid account of how challenging my grief process was, but I, I share that in the context of trying to offer hope. So mm-hmm. the I guess the one thing that I would share is that, you know, for anyone struggling with grief after being a dementia caregiver, you know, know that you're not alone. Um and that mm-hmm. what might feel like a struggle and feel like pain is actually the path that is going to open up and give you the keys to hope, self acceptance and healing. Um so you are really okay exactly as you are with whatever you're feeling um, and hope will come from, hope and healing will come from that path.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, wonderful.
0: Uh, well, thank you so much for your, for your time uh, today.
2: This has been just
0: fantastic. I want to make sure that people have your website. It's J, J-A-Y-E-T-T. So com. Or you can email her at authorjt at gmail.com. And her handle on Twitter is authorjt. Um, same on Facebook, authorjt. Um, and Facebook was being stubborn with me, so you might want to just try jt too. Uh, sometimes, it, I don't know, Facebook's been just wonky lately in my opinion. <laughs> uh, but try both of those. But again, we have those links. Um, on the show page, on the blog, everywhere we push out, you've got access to those. I, I highly recommend uh, her book. Again, it's called 13 Months, The Diary of a Caregiver's Grief. Um, this, these are conversations we have to have, and they don't have to be all doom and gloom. Uh, you know, Hopefully you have um, picked up a few nuggets here, and if nothing else, you feel like you're not alone on this journey and the emotions you're feeling. Um, someone else has had them too, and they are normal. There is not one path to grief. Uh, we're all different. So, again, thank you all so much. Um, again, if you think you might want to be a guest on the show, reach out to me at radio at com. And, again, uh, Jay, thank you so much for Sharing your brilliance and sharing your life with us. I uh, really appreciate it. It's going to help a lot of people.
2: It's really been an honor. So thank you so much, Lori.
0: Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye.
2: It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement.